regularly, every single week, I pray a very simple prayer. God, what do you want me to say to your people? Now, I am not in any way finding fault with other pastors who plan out their sermon schedules months and years in advance. I know people who do that. I've done it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But for this season, my sense is that God is walking me hand in hand, step by step, taking me along the path that he wants me to go on. And he's not giving me months and weeks in advance of story. Honestly, I wish he would. It'd be a whole lot easier. It really would. But he's not. And every week I pray, Lord, what do you want me to say to your people? Sometimes I pray that prayer on Monday morning. Sometimes I say it on Thursday. Sometimes it is midnight on Saturday night when I'm, and it's not because I'm not trying to pray or not trying to listen, but God in his timing starts giving me what he wants me to pray about. And it's like, when it's Saturday night, it's very frustrating and scary. It's like, I gotta get up in the morning, God. Well, over the last number of days, all I kept hearing every time I try and think about what I should pray, I mean, what I should preach on, all I kept hearing was the word obedience. That was it. Just the word of, no scripture particularly, no story, just obedience. Okay? And I literally went to bed last night with not a clear understanding of what I was supposed to preach on, but just the sense of I need to be obedient. Okay. And I got, I got up this morning. I have my alarm set for six. I woke up at five. I hate that because I want to sleep as long as I'm allowed to sleep. But I woke up at five and I said, what am I supposed to preach this morning, Lord? And he literally said, obedience. <sighs> What am I supposed to say about obedience, Lord? <laughs> and over from from five o'clock this morning until about eight, he just took me on this cool journey. Now, I've been thinking about obedience all week. I have all these little anecdotes that I wanted to share, but I don't want to share stories out of stories. I want to share out of the Bible. And so I was... I was thinking, Lord, what stories in the Bible, what characters in the Bible talk, their storyline, talk about obedience? And I'll give you a couple, and then I want you to be thinking for me to just, you know, just popcorn it. You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but just say out loud. For example, I just shared the story with the kids, Naaman. And that was one of the ones I thought about, because that's a pretty cool story about following the word of God, being told specifically what God wants, and then having the choice to make, and then ultimately choosing after getting good counsel, and then seeing God work in a powerful and mighty way. That's a cool story. It works really well. You, you can preach out of that. Naaman is a good one. Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. That's an excellent story in obedience. Doesn't make sense to me, God. I don't understand why you're asking this of me, God. I just know that I know that I know that you've said it to me. And so I'm going to walk this. Now, in that particular case, again, it preaches really well. In that particular case, Abraham 
not only had to make the decision to do this, but then he had to assemble everything and carry it into the wilderness until he got to the place where they were to do the sacrifice. And then he had to turn to the people that were with him and say, you stay here, the boy and I are going to go up the hill. And then the boy says to him, Father, I see the fire, I see the sticks, I see the knife, I don't see the sacrifice. And Abraham's words were, son, the Lord himself will provide the sacrifice. That's all a statement of faith and obedience and doing what you know God told you to do even though it doesn't make sense and even though you really don't want to do it. Great, great, great sermon material. Not what I'm allowed to talk about. What are some of the other Bible characters that talk about obedience when you know God has told you to do something and be obedient? Moses. Moses. Noah. Noah. Mary. Mary. I'm sorry? Saul? Elijah. Elijah? Talk to me about Saul. I don't understand that one. Saul was told to do something. He was not disobedient. Oh, he was disobedient. Okay, I was trying to figure out how he was obedient. I'm like, That's true. That's true. Jesus. Jesus. I'm sorry? Paul. Yeah. All good stories. Jonah. Again. Disobedient, obedient, disobedient, obedient, disobedient, mad. (laughs) Esther. Jesus was obedient unto death. This is, here are four passages of scripture. None of them are stories. I was wanting a story. But these are the four passages of scripture that God took me to. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Although Jesus was the son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered And he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Then if you look in the book of Acts, chapter 6, just one verse, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, when I read out of Hebrews, I get saved if I'm obedient to him, Jesus. That makes sense. But then when I read these priests became obedient to the faith, I was like, how does that play out? And you know what's so frustrating is you you go to commentators saying, okay, give me some cool insights on this. Nobody writes anything about the stuff I want to know. There was absolutely nothing on this idea of being obedient to the faith. And I was like, what in the world? What does obedient to the faith mean? I mean, yeah, obedient. Well, what does it mean? Because and the thing that I was able to, to wrestle on was these priests were 
locked in, if you will, to following the Mosaic law. Okay? They had to do absolutely everything according to what it says in the Pentateuch, the five, the first five books of the Bible. This is how you offer a sacrifice. This is what is acceptable. This is what is not acceptable. And so they had to follow the letter of the law to do their role as a priest. And then they come to understand that Jesus is indeed the Messiah of Israel and fulfills all the prophecies and they enter into a faith in Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah. And they enter into obedience to him. But what is it about this idea of being obedient to the faith? And frankly, I don't have a really good answer because I, I've only been chewing on this for a few hours. It's something I'm probably going to have to chew on for a while. Okay. Obedient to God, obedient to Jesus. But what does it mean to be obedient to the faith? You have to have faith to please him. That's it out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Also an obedience to the realization that Jesus is the completion of the law. I keep getting the word completion. Jesus is the completion of the law. So they were following the law. Okay. 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 At this point in my reading this morning, I got to Romans chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, Paul is writing to the people, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. This is slightly worded slightly differently. Acts said obedience to the faith. Paul writing to the Romans, said the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. Now, as I, as I focused in on that phrase, obedience of, the, of, obedience of faith for the sake of, the, of his name, I started going, that sounds so familiar to me. Why is that obedience of faith for the sake of his name? Obedience of faith for the sake of his name. Why is that just sticking with me? And all of a sudden, a light bulb went off. December 7th or 10th or whatever day that was, I preached in this church about Joseph having four dreams and believing God and following God and being obedient to the faith, I mean, having an obedience of faith for the sake of his name. And that was what my whole sermon was on almost four months ago. And I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. And so I listened to my sermon. And said, oh, I'm a good preacher. <laughs> I enjoyed listening to that. I thought, that's a pretty good sermon. I should put that one on the website. There's sometimes I don't want to put them on the website because they're not very good. But there's sometimes that they're really good. That one was a good one. And that's one on the website. Um, but this idea of obedience of faith for the uh, came out. 
And as I was reading a commentary on that, the commentator pointed me to Romans chapter 16, the end of the book. Romans chapter 1 talks about this obedience of faith. Romans chapter 16, the end of the book, it literally ends with this doxology. And it says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever throughout G- through Jesus Christ. Amen. And the commentator that I was reading, one of them that, that I was reading, said, God, through Paul, used this phrase, obedience of faith, as a bookend at each end of this letter to the Romans. And then he pointed to the, not the very center, but into the book itself, and talked about how through the disobedience of Adam, death came in to the, to the, to all of humanity. And through the obedience of Jesus, life and restoration and right relationship to God came in. And so this commentator was saying, this idea of obedience of faith is Adam couldn't didn't have appropriate faith, didn't have right relationship as a result of his disobedience. But Jesus, the second Adam, has brought about a righteousness, a rest, excuse me, to all of the the world because of his obedience. And I think as Charlene said it just a few minutes ago when we were relaying different stories of different obedience, Jesus' obedience was indeed an obedience of faith. He literally sat in the garden wrestling, saying, not my will, but yours, not my will, but yours, not my will, but yours. If it's possible, let this cut past me. If it's possible, let this cut past me. All of that was this wrestling of him finally coming and saying, "Ah, everything in me is screaming, no, I don't want to die. Everything in me is screaming, I don't want to die. But I know that I know that I know that I know that this is what God the Father wants. I know that this is the plan. I know that this is the only way. And as a result, I have no choice but to walk it. It was an obedience of faith, knowing the word of God, knowing the will of God, knowing the plan of God. And as much as you don't want to have to go through it, knowing there is no choice but to walk the path that's been laid before you, because it is God's plan. And it is literally an act of devotion and faith and trust. I am obedient to the faith. I am obedient to I'm doing the obedience of faith. I am walking in this, saying, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. As much as I don't like it, as much as I don't understand it, as much as it eats me up. And then, as I was looking in this idea of obedience... God brought me to a sermon preached by Charles Spurgeon back in 1860, I think it was. Um, And it was a really cool quote that I wanted to read to you. The more of faith in him you have, the more of obedience to him you will manifest. I was... This is Spurgeon speaking. I was about to say that obedience naturally flows out of faith. 
And I should not have spoken amiss, for as a human believeth, so are they. And in proportion to the strength and purity of their faith in God, as God is revealed in Christ Jesus, so will be the holy obedience of their life. I've really butchered this, not getting it out as well as I wanted to, but the gist of what he's saying, and it's in that first sentence, the more of faith you have in him, the more of obedience to him you will manifest. As I was reflecting, reading, praying, meditating, chewing on this morning, the Lord brought to my mind a small story out of this great, great biblical scholar, C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. This, this particular volume is the one titled Prince Caspian. I do not have time this morning to read you the entire chapter. I wish I did. Let me give you the gist of what's going on. <clears throat> Peter, Edmund, Susan, and Lucy are the four children, the Pevensey children, who have been called into Narnia, called back to Narnia. At, in the previous book, The Lion, the King, and the uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy were all kings and queens in Narnia, Peter being the high king. And then they get called back to Narnia in Prince of Caspian, and they meet up with this dwarf whose name is Trumpkin. And Trumpkin is telling them all about the story of Prince Caspian and how he came to power. And they're now trying to get to him uh, to try and help, because they feel like that's what Aslan, the Jesus story, person in this story, wants. So they are walking up, uh, through this forest trying to get to what's called the, this, this small little river that they're going to cross called the Rush. And when they get to the river, they're going to then go across it and then they'll just be a little bit away from the, the hideout where Aslan, I mean, where Prince Caspian and his army is. Um, and this hideout is known as Aslan's Howe. So here's where they are in this story. They are They've come up to the to the rush. They at first they don't recognize it because it's it's a gorge. There's this huge deep gorge and with a river at the bottom. And Peter's like, "We must have gone the wrong way." And and Trumpkin said, "Well, how come you think you're gone the wrong way?" He said, "Because the the rush isn't in a gorge." And Trumpkin says, "But you guys, you told me you you used to live here hundreds, if not a thousand years ago." And maybe it wasn't in a gorge back then, but isn't it possible that it could be in a gorge now? I mean, couldn't there have been an earthquake or couldn't there have been erosion or something that caused it? And Peter goes, oh, wow, you're right. You're right. And so they decide there's no way they can get across the gorge. So they're going to go down along the one edge of the gorge until they get to the to where the gorge joins up with the other river. And then they'll go across and back up. And as they're making that decision... All of a sudden, Lucy, who is the youngest of the four children, she cries out, Look! 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 And everyone's like, Where? What? What? And Lucy says, The lion! Aslan himself! Didn't you see? And her face had changed completely, and her eyes shone. And Peter said, Do you really mean? And Susan said, Where do you think you saw him? 
And Lucy stamps her foot and says, Don't talk like a grown-up. I didn't think I saw him. I saw him. And Peter says, Where, Lou? Where? And Lucy says, Right up there between those mountain ashes. No, no, this side of the gorge. And it's not, and it's up, not down. Just the opposite way of the way you want to go. And he wants us to go where he was, right up there. And Edmund said, Well, how do you know that was what he wanted? And Lucy says, He, I, I, I just know by his face. And the others all looked at each other in puzzled silence. Trumpkin said, ah, Her Majesty may well have seen a lion. There are lions in these woods, I've been told, but it needn't have been a friendly and talking lion any more than the bear was a friendly and talking bear. Oh, don't be so stupid, said Lucy. Do you think I don't know Aslan when I see him? I'd be a pretty elderly eye by now, said Trumpkin. If he's the one that you knew when you were here before, and if he could be the same one, what's to prevent him from having gone wild or witless like so many of the others? Lucy turned crimson, and I think she would have flown at Trumpkin if Peter hadn't laid his hand on her arm. Lucy, Trumpkin doesn't understand. How could he? Then turning to Trumpkin, he said, You must just take it, Trumpkin, that we really do know about Aslan, a little bit about him, I mean. And if you mustn't, and you mustn't talk about him like that again. It isn't lucky for one thing, and it's all nonsense for another. The only question is whether Aslan was really there. And Lucy, with her eyes filling with tears, said, But I know he was. And Peter said, Yes, Lou, I know you do, but we don't. Edmund then said, Well, there's nothing for it but a vote. Peter said, All right. Trumpkin, you're the oldest. What do you vote? Up or down? And the dwarf said, Down. I don't know anything about Aslan, but I do know that if we turn left and follow up the gorge, it might lead us all day before we find a place where we could cross it. Whereas if we turn right and go down, we're bound to reach the great river in just a couple of hours. And if there are, are any real lions about, we want to go away from them, not toward them. Peter said, what do you say, Susan? Susan looked at Lucy and said, don't be angry, Lou, but I do think we should go down. I'm dead tired. Do let's get out of this wretched wood into the open as quickly as we can. And none of us except you saw anything. Peter said, Edmund. Edmund responded, well, there's just this. When we first discovered Narnia a year ago, or a thousand years ago, whichever it was, it was Lucy who discovered it first, and none of us would believe her. I was the worst of the lot, I know. And yet she was right after all. Wouldn't it be fair to believe her this time? I vote for going up. Lucy said, oh, Edmund, and squeezed his hand. And now it's your turn, Peter, said Susan. And I do hope, oh, shut up, Susan, shut up. Let me think. I'd much rather not have to vote, Trumpkin said. Well, you are the high king. Peter, after a long pause, went down. I know Lucy might be right after all, but I can't help it. We must do one or the other. And so they set off to their right along the edge downstream, and Lucy came last of the party, crying bitterly. Now, again, I don't have time to read all of this, but the story then continues. They go along the edge of the gorge, they get down to the edge of the, to the great river, where they're going to go back up the other side of the gorge, and all of a sudden they start having arrows shot at them, because there's a sentry posted down there, and he's from the king that, that they're fighting against, and so they have to run back into the woods on the opposite side of the, I mean, on the side of the gorge that they were just coming down. And they finally have to go back the way that they came. And it's now early evening. And they've wasted the whole day. And finally Trumpkin says, 
we are going to get across. I know we'll get across, but let's rest here tonight. I'll make a good meal. We'll get a good night's rest. And then we'll figure it out in the morning. Lucy and them are all asleep. And all of a sudden, Lucy wakes up hearing a voice. Aslan! Aslan! Dear Aslan! sobbed Lucy at last. And the great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. And he bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her and she gazed up into the large wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. Well, that's because you're older, little one, answered the lion. Not because you are? (laughs) I'm not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. For a time, Lucy was so happy that she didn't want to speak, but Aslan did. Lucy, he said, we mustn't lie here for long. We, You have work in hand, and much time has been lost today. Yes, wasn't it a shame, said Lucy. I saw you all right, and they wouldn't believe me. They're all so... And from somewhere deep inside Aslan's body, there came this faintest suggestion of a growl. I'm sorry, said Lucy, who understood some of his moods. I didn't mean to start slanging the others, but it wasn't my fault anyway, was it? And the lion looked straight into her eyes. Oh, Aslan, said Lucy, you don't mean it was. How could I? I couldn't have left the others and come up to you alone. How could I? Don't look at me like that. Oh, well, I... I suppose I could. Yes, and it wouldn't have been alone, I know. Not not if I was with you, but what would have been the good? Aslan said nothing but continued looking at her. You mean, said Lucy rather faintly, that it would have turned out all right somehow? But how? Please, Aslan, am I not to know? To know what would have happened, child, said Aslan? No. Nobody has ever told that. Oh, dear, said Lucy. But if anyone can find out what will happen, said Aslan, if you'll go back to the others now and wake them up and tell them that you've seen me again and that you must all get up at once and follow me, what will happen? There's only one way to find out. Do you mean that that is what you want me to do? Yes, little one, said Aslan. Will the others see you too? asked Lucy. Certainly not at first, said Aslan. Later on, it depends. But they won't believe me, said Lucy. It doesn't matter, said Aslan. Oh dear, oh dear, said Lucy. And I was so pleased at finding you again. And and I thought you'd let me stay. And and I thought you'd come roaring in and frighten all the enemies away like the last time. And now everything is going to be horrid. It is hard for you, little one, said Aslan. But things never happen the same way twice. It has been hard for all in Narnia before now. Lucy buried her head in his mane to hide from his face. But there must have been magic in his mane and she could feel lion strength going into her. And quite suddenly she sat up and said, Aslan, I'm sorry. I'm ready now. Oh, now you are a lioness, said Aslan. And now all Narnia will be renewed. But come, we have no time to lose. And the story continues on where Lucy goes and she wakes up her brothers and sister and wakes up Trumpkin and they they can't see Aslan. And she says, I don't care if you're going with me or not. I'm following Aslan. And they say, you can't go alone. She says, watch. And she starts following Aslan and they all follow her. And it ends up that they literally, where Aslan wanted them to go, there was a path down into the gorge. 
across the river and right back up to the other side of the gorge, which led them right to the base of Aslan's Howe. And if they had followed him that morning, they would have already been there that afternoon. And so Lucy, being this little girl, the youngest of the crowd, was the one that could see Aslan. She was the one that knew what Aslan wanted, but she didn't have enough social points to be able to outvote everybody else and to show them what needed to happen. And the end result was she went along with the crowd and wasted all of that time. And Aslan redeemed it. But the reality was, I don't need to go into the rest of the story, but the reality was somebody dies as a result. And if they had been obedient at the beginning and not wasted all that time, that person wouldn't have died. Now, we don't need to get into all that story. That's, that's a story. But there's a principle here. That's been what we've been talking about all morning long. If you know what God wants from you, you have no choice but to be obedient. And if you don't do what God is asking of you, the next time you try to talk to God, he's going to bring it right back up to you. And he's going to say, guess what? We're not progressing any farther in this relationship until we center this matter of, you matter of your disobedience. So can we deal with it now? Or do you want to come back tomorrow and we can deal with it then? But the reality is, God will not let you shirk that responsibility. I, every story that we looked at, that we talked about, out of God's word, God never lost in any of those. God always gets God's way. Always. It may not be the way God originally intended or wanted, but ultimately God's plan still happens. The question is, do you get the benefit and the blessing of walking hand in hand with God? Or is he going to have to find somebody else to do the work because you just refuse? Let me share with you, and I can't give you details, but I'm going to give you one last little story out of my own life. I can't give you details because it's not appropriate for me to give you details. The reason that this has all been focused on obedience this week is because, I think it was Monday, I received a phone call. And I was asked to do something. And I was like, mm, nah, not interested. Nah. And after I hung up, the Lord was like, um, I, I just gave you an opportunity to do something. And you didn't, even, you, didn't even, you didn't even talk to me about it? Well, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. But, but that's not the question. <laughs> the question was, you didn't even ask me? You didn't even talk to me? So let's talk. Okay, let's talk. I don't want to do it. Okay, but what if I said I wanted you to do it? Well, then if you want me to do it, I'll do it. But I don't want to do it. Okay. Do it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> That's not the question, Bob. You said if I said I wanted you to do it, you'd do it. So do it. I don't want to do it, God. So if I reveal my perfect will to you, by telling you that there's something I want you to do, 
whether you want to do it or not, whether it makes sense to you or not, whether it's part of your plan or not, you're not willing to do it? I'm willing to do it, but I don't want to do it. Okay. Well, I'm not going to argue with you. Talk to you tomorrow. God, what do you want me to preach on next week? Obedience. Okay, we'll talk to you tomorrow, God. What do you want me to preach on, God? Obedience. I don't like your words, God. See you tomorrow. <laughs> what do you want me to preach on tomorrow? Obedience. Good night, God. See you in the morning. Got my alarm set for six. What do you want me to preach on this morning, God? Obedience. Yes, sir. Now, you don't need to know what the obedient thing is. That's between me and God. And believe me, I haven't been disobedient. I'm not being disobedient. I, I am, I'm just simply being honest. I want to do it. But that's not the issue. That's one of the things that God was saying to me. I'm not saying you're going to do what I'm asking you to do. I'm just saying I want to know, are you willing? You don't know what the end result of all of this is about, Bob. And you don't need to know at this moment. You just simply know, need to know that if I've asked you to do something, then you need to do it. Because I'm God and you're not. Questions? Concerns? Problems? Okay. So, I will be obedient. I haven't been yet. Haven't had time. Gotta go to church. But I will be obedient. Promise. Not you. I promise you guys anything. Promise him. I will be obedient. I will do what he has asked me to do. As soon as I'm done with this stupid board meeting. <laughs> but that's, that's where the rubber meets the road, folks. God, I, I believe it. I've taught it. I've been taught it. I preached it. God is in charge. God is control. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows everything about what's going to happen with my life. He knows what's best for me. He knows what his plan is for me. He said, are you willing to be obedient to my faith, to the faith in me? Yes. Then let's, let's make this happen. Oh, that's not what I want to do. That's not the question here. The question is, are you willing? Yes. Are you going to? No. <sighs> Y'all are laughing, but it's because you've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> Every single one of you have been there. And quite honestly, I believe the reason God allowed this week to happen the way it was was because somebody in this room needed to hear me say these words this morning. I have no idea what it is that you're facing. I have no idea what it is that you're not being obedient over. But you need to hear these words because God's not going to back down. The next time you get on your face before him, he's going to say, I want your obedience. I want your obedience. It was important enough in the book of Romans that he bookended. The whole story was on obedience. Everything that we're told in the scriptures is God gets his way. Always. So I would encourage you, save yourself a lot of heartache. 
as soon as you get home, even before you start to eat dinner, whatever it is that he's talking to you about right now, and you know what it is, say yes. And whatever you need to do to make it happen, or at least to start it in action, begin that now. Don't waste any time. Because it's not fun to wake up every morning and say, God, what do you want? Obedience. But God, okay, aside from that, what do you want? Obedience. Okay? Because he's, he's unrelenting. He's unrelenting. He's unrelenting. But he's loving. He's a gentle person. He will guide you. He will not force you. But he does expect you to obey. Let's pray.